Responsive reading this morning is Psalm 21. The theme, re- the theme is the king rejoices in the Lord's strength. O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices, and in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold gold upon his head. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through steadfast, I'm sorry, through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. You would destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Amen. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Amen. 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 Let us let us go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are the Father of mercies. Ask you to hear me this morning, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Lord, though I'm a sinner, I plead and ask you to hear my prayer this morning according to Christ and his finished work on the cross. Lord, you are the giver of all grace that we need to live in this world and in this life. And Lord, this morning, we look to you for strength to maintain your grace in us. Because, Lord, sometimes it is hard for us to practice what we believe. It is hard for us to practice what we ascend to with our mouths. Lord, I pray this morning that you strengthen us against temptations. Because, Lord, as the reformer said, our heart is a fountain of sin. It is a river of corruption since our childish childhood days. And that sin can be shown in every pattern of our behavior. Lord, we ask you this morning, we're weak and needy. Lord, we have no strength but in you. Lord, only you alone can hold back our evil ways. Lord, without your grace to sustain us, we fall. Satan's darts attack us every day. 
like a quick flame, like a wildfire. And Lord, the shield that you give us, the shield of faith, that should quench those darts, easily drop from our hand when the trials get too hot. Lord, empower us against the assaults of Satan, against his schemes. Lord, keep us sensible of our weaknesses. And Lord, may we depend on your strength. Just as we've been reading in the book of Joshua in our Bible study time. Lord, in the times of battle, when Israel faced greater foes than themselves. Lord, you called them to trust in you. You told them, Lord, to be strong and of good courage. To not fear because you will go before them. And Lord, as we go through life and go through our trials, may we be strong, not just strong for strength's sake, Lord, but to be strong in you. Lord, let every trial teach us, excuse me, more of your peace, more of your love, more of your grace, more of your strength. Lord, may our trials teach us more dependence on you, more worship of you, more desire for you and your ways. Lord, may our trials show us our need, our desperate need for you. Lord, we cannot live this life in our own strength. We are so weak, Lord. We, we're so weak that we, we can't control how we sleep or how we awake, Lord, because it is you who sustains us. Lord, we're so weak that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We, we make plans for tomorrow. We make plans for today. We make plans for this evening. But, Lord, ultimately, we're not in control of that. Lord, we're so weak and so dependent on you. So, Lord, in our trials, let us look to you. Let us depend on you. Let us trust in you. Let us cling to you, Lord. Let us cling to your word. Let us cling to you in prayer. And not frustrate ourselves by trying to deliver ourselves or provide hope for ourselves and in ourselves. Lord, look on Miss Deborah this morning. She's experiencing pain in her knees. She works a very physically demanding job. Lord, may your grace be with her this morning. As she gets ready to celebrate a birthday tomorrow, she has her family with the Lord. May your grace just be with her this morning. And Lord, remember Brother Darrell, who, who would rather be here in the household of the Lord, but he has to be at work this morning, Lord. Remember Brother Darrell and strengthen him and encourage him in his spirit and strengthen him in his body, Lord. He is feeling uh, pains and discomfort in his legs and he is on a job that requires him to stand uh, for hours at a time. So, Lord, be with him at work and also just in his body. Strengthen him. Lord, continue to bring Brother Harvey to full recovery from his health scare, Lord. Continue to persevere him. Give him the strength to continue the rehabilitation process so that he can get back to full strength.
even in his advanced age, Lord, you are still mighty to do it, Lord. And I pray that as he take each step that he trusts in you to help him to get that balance back that he so desires. Lord, I pray for other prayer needs in our congregation that uh, I'm unaware of, but that you are. Lord, you know the needs of all the people here in this church. You know all the trials that your people are enduring for your sake. Lord, give us perseverance in our trials, whether it's in our health, whether it's trials because of disobedience to your word, whether it's trials in dealing with family situations or, or financial situations or, or uh, employment situations on our jobs with, with co-workers or whatever the case may be, Lord. Father, give us your strength to endure these trials, to, to persevere in the faith. Many of us have trials every day. But Lord, let, let not us forget who we do everything for. Lord, what propels our joy? What, what propels us every day that we wake up? What sustains us throughout each day? Through the good and the bad. Through the distressing and the joyful situations, Lord. What propels us it is your grace it is your grace that is the great motivator it is your grace lord that empowers us to live this christian life to persevere through the trials of life it is your love that you have set on us through your son jesus christ lord let us fight to keep that in mind let us fight to remind ourselves of, of, of what Christ has done for us because, Lord, we're, we're so filled with distractions in this world. The world tries to distract us in every single way to take our focus off of what is most important. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what Christ did for us in rescuing us from the darkness and the slavery and the tyranny and the misery of sin. And translating us, conveying us, as Paul says in Colossians, to the kingdom of light. And Lord, this morning I, I pray also for the faithful brethren here and around the world who are proclaiming the true gospel. My brother Sylvester in uh, Zimbabwe, who I had the chance of, of, of talking to. Uh, via Twitter a couple of weeks ago, Lord, encouraging him as a believer. They're enduring intense persecution in that nation, the church is, and he himself is as a, as a pastor preaching the true gospel. <coughs> Lord, he's even been arrested for his faith in Christ. Lord, remember Brother Sylvester this morning. Also remember Brother Steve Mays in Jacksonville and Brother Josh Henderson down in Talladega and Brother Anthony and, and, and uh, Brother Carlton and Phil and Bob and Brother Cody. All the faithful brothers, Brother James. Lord, fill these men with your spirit to teach well the word of the living God. Lord, help us this morning to look to Christ in everything 
and for everything. May we all preach, Lord, with the power that you provide us by your spirit. Because man's greatest need is to have his sins forgiven. Lord, may we point sinners to the only hope for their forgiveness and salvation. That is the God man, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we go through this text this morning, looking at darkness and light, Lord, may you use your word mightily by the means of your spirit to convict sinners of their sins and bring them to salvation, Lord. Grant them saving faith this morning. And Lord, may you use this message to encourage the faithful to continue to put off the old man and to be walking in the new man and the newness of life that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, send your spirit to fill me to teach this text well and send your spirit also, Lord, to illuminate the truths that we will hear this morning. Gracious Father, I thank you for hearing my prayer this morning on the basis of nothing in me but on the basis of Christ and his finished work on the cross and his substitutionary death on my behalf. It is in his glorious name I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. I'm excited this morning as always to preach the word of God. It is God's uh, calling on my life. And it is something that I don't take lightly. Since 1991, when God called me to the preaching ministry, it is a, it is a tremendous and humbling task to preach the word of God. And we thank the Lord for the privilege of being able to proclaim his truth to his people. And this morning, we're going to be continuing through Ephesians. We're in the fifth chapter, the 28th sermon in this book. And this morning is walking differently, part four, walking as children of light, as children of light. And this is verses eight through 14 in chapter five. Now, at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul tells the Ephesians to be imitators of God as their children and walk in love. And everything from that until verse 14 is the opposite of walking in love. We talked about that last week and the week before last. And Paul continues these gospel imperatives. In Today, we're going to look at the difference between dark and light and what it means to be darkness and what it means to be light. So Paul says here, beginning at verse eight, actually, I'm going to start back at verse uh, seven. He says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. And who are the them again? Those who are sexually immoral, those who are impure, those who are covetous, who are practicing idolatry. Those who are filthy and foolish in their talking. Those who make crude jokes. 
Paul says, do not be partners with them. Do not be partakers with them. And verses 8 through 14, he gives the why. Why should we be imitators of God as opposed to being like the pagans, the Gentiles, the unbelievers? Why should we not be given over to filthiness and foolish talking and sexual immorality and impurity and uncleanness and just dirtiness and nastiness and immorality? Why should we as Christians, those who call on the name of Christ, why should we not practice those things? He gives the explanation again at verse 8 which is the subject of our text today. He says in verse 8, For you were once darkness. Now, just as a uh, aside, a preposition is missing from that. The preposition in. I-N. Notice he didn't say you were once in darkness. He says you were once darkness. And I'll explain that. But now you are light. He didn't say that you're in light. Now you are light in the Lord. And as that, you should do what? Walk as children of light. Notice not of the light, but of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove or expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And them meaning the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the pagans. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I'm an observer of culture. I'm an observer, I'm a, I'm an observer of news. Uh, I watch the news a lot. I'm on, I'm on Twitter, so I get a lot of news from my Twitter feed about what is going on in our world and particularly our nation. What's going on culturally in our country, uh, the, the forces that are at work against Christianity. I pay attention to those, thi to those things against uh, Christian values. We see all types of debauchery in our culture. From movies to the type of garbage music that is out there I call it crap music not rap music uh, to the shows on television or streaming services now to the uh, perversions that are being promoted in our culture as being good we see all this going on around us we've talked about it before in our worldview study how all these things are promoting something that is against Christ. All these things promote a culture that kills civilizations, not builds up civilizations. We see all of this darkness around us, even in our local area. You had the road rage incident down there 
off uh, exit 185 in Oxford uh, this past uh, week. A young man had a rifle, brandished a rifle, and, and, and shot a homeless guy, some random guy that he got into an argument with, and then went to the, chase him to the raceway, a service station down there, and then shot into a vehicle that was trying to stop everything. That's darkness. Yeah, the young man that was killed up here off of uh, by 10th Street School uh, last week, or a week before last, actually. Yeah, a young man who committed double murder up in Huntsville, uh, they had a manhunt for him up in the Sachs area. Uh, I think it was Thursday, Friday, because my wife's school had to go on lockdown because he was he's from that area. He had family members down here. And this man had killed two people in Huntsville, double murderer. Young guy, young man in his 20s. Wanted for double capital murder, two, two counts. He, he came down to his hometown and, and you know, hi, trying to hide out. And the authorities, thankfully, uh, found him so he wouldn't be uh, no longer a danger to the community. We see darkness all around us. It's real. And there are other things that I've talked about in previous sermons that I'm not going to uh, rehash about what people are trying to do uh, to children. What parents are doing to their uh, children. What our society is trying to do to children and also to adults the lifestyles that are being uh, promoted it is darkness and when you see it saints that's what you have to see it as it is a consequence of being in a dark world so how should Christians how should you as a Christian respond to such situations you may be at work when other co-workers are sharing a dirty joke should you laugh should you rebuke them or should you say nothing and just walk away these are difficult real life situations that we're confronted with as Christians and uh, the apostle Paul addresses this in our text he is answering the question how are we as children of light how we should relate to a morally dark world because our world is morally dark if you don't think so just open your eyes he doesn't get specific directions but he gives us a he gives us guiding principles on how we ought to live in a dark world and he teaches us as believers how to think through And deal with worldly people who are walking in darkness. He, the, the word of God provides the antidote for all these things. You can't find them anywhere else. You can't find this out in the world. Because remember about the world. The world creates the problem. The world is the problem. And the world tries to solve the problems that it creates. Creating more problems. That is the way the world system works. The world says, worship yourself, love yourself. But then when you try to love yourself, you still feel empty. You don't feel fulfilled. Why? Because you can't worship yourself. So what does the world say do? Okay, if you feel empty, worship yourself more. 
Ask other people to worship you more. And then that didn't work. You begin to feel depressed and despondent and despair of life. And what does the world say? Take this pill. Take these drugs. Drink this alcohol. You'll feel better. Go to happy hour. You do that, you get addicted to drugs. You get addicted to alcohol. You begin to make decisions based on those addictions. You begin to spend your money based on those addictions. And then what happens? You, you lead yourself and your family to financial ruin and misery. Why? Because the world said that's what you're supposed to do to remedy that, that hole that's in your soul. The world creates a problem, and the world gives you the solution, which leads to even more problems. That's darkness. But the Bible tells us as believers how to deal with these things, how to think through, how to respond when these situations arise. Now, historically, there have been two wrong extremes on how Christians have responded to difficult circumstances. You know, I always talk about the two ditches. You can either go too far to this ditch or go into this ditch. The first ditch is the church responded by attempting to relate to the world. We're trying to relate to the lost where churches seek to be more worldly, to appeal more to the world. The church attempted to become so much like the world in its attitudes and behavior that there's no difference between the world and the church. You have a lot of churches who've done that. They try to be so much like the world. They want to draw the world in. And then that church becomes what? Worldly. You, you, you can't tell the difference of whether you're in a nightclub or whether you're in a church. And then you have the other ditch where Christians overemphasize the need to be separate from this evil world. They withdraw almost completely. from the world, from worldly people, from worldly activities and what they think is a worldly appearance. You have the holiness people who do that. You have the Amish. The Amish, they didn't want to become assimilated into a godless culture. Uh, uh, Amish, are, they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, it's, just, it's a Christian uh, worldview, but they've gone too far into the other ditch where they were drawn totally from what they call the godless culture. And they held on to their own ways. And now over time, they become a cultural oddity. They're so distinct from culture that they can have no meaningful impact on the culture for the Christian good because they've totally withdrawn themselves from general society. That's the other ditch that people can fall into. But um, Jesus did not pray that. Jesus prayed not that we would be out of the world. He says this in John 17 in his high priestly prayer. John 17 verses 15 through 18. This is what the Lord Jesus prayed for believers. He says, I do not ask you. He was praying to the father. He says, I do not ask you to take them, them meaning his disciples, his followers, uh, believers, saints. He says, I did not ask you to take them out of the world, 
but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So we ought to be in the world. We're not to withdraw from the world, but we are not to be of the world. It's a difference because Jesus himself was not of the world. He did not belong to the world. He did not acquiesce to the world's philosophies and the world's ideologies. We as Christians are in this world. We have to live in this world. We have to work in this world. We have to produce in this world, have families in this world, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That is what uh, the, the, the first mandate of creation back in Genesis. We're not called to withdraw and be hermits and go live off the grid somewhere. We ought to be in this world, but not of it. And the way to keep this fine balance is to be sanctified or to be set apart by God's word. We can live set apart lives while being in the world. I had to call a football game yesterday uh, down at uh, ASD, Alabama School for the Deaf, down in Talladega. And I was riding with you know some other officials. And the, the guy who was driving the, the, the car, he's, he's very uh, irreverent. He, you know. He's not a believer, but they, they were cracking some type of, you know, saying some of the dirty joke stuff. He turned around and said, oh, I, I apologize, Pastor. I didn't say anything. I was just sitting there just like, Lord, why am I riding with these guys to this game? But I didn't want to spend my gas going down there, you know, uh, with Talladega. But they were just being who they were, and I was being who I was. I was just sitting there just listening, trying to sit the game that was on the radio. And they were, you know, doing whatever. He turned around and, uh, you know, kind of apologized to him. I didn't. I didn't say a word because those guys know what I stand for and what I believe and what I don't like to hear. As Christians, we are in this world, but we don't have to be like the world in order for the world to like us. So in this text, Paul is telling us how to walk as children of light in this dark world exposing their deeds and the Ephesian church was in a very pagan environment among ancient Roman culture they were in a very pagan environment guess what we as the modern church we're in a very pagan environment so how do we relate to our godless culture without being tainted by the culture it's like Lot. Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God had to deliver Lot and his family, his wife and his daughters from Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did God do? God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. Wipe, literally wiped it from the face of this earth. And Peter said about Lot that Lot's soul was vexed by what he saw in Sodom and Gomorrah by what he experienced. His soul was vexed. God saved him from Sodom and Gomorrah, but it, it, it vexed his soul with what he saw. So our, our thing as Christians is, 
we don't want to be in a position where we allow, because we're trying to be like the world, we allow ourselves to be tainted by what we see and what we hear, what we allow in our hearing and what we allow our eyes to see. Because what can happen over time, you can become desensitized to sin. You can be desensitized to seeing sinful things. You begin, you can't, un, you know, in the saying, you can't unsee something once you see it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Next thing you know, it becomes an ear echo. You have what they call intrusive thoughts. You, you, you're trying to focus on one thing and all of a sudden these other thoughts come to your mind. I always tell my students when I was a school teacher, this simple saying, garbage in, garbage out. That's not in the Bible, but it's a true principle. You consume garbage, guess what? It's going to come out. Either in your speech, it's going to be in your thoughts, or it's going to be in the way you live. You keep consuming garbage and garbage and garbage and garbage and garbage. It's going to come out. It's going to show. It's going to consume you because that's what darkness does. It, it consumes. Now the theme of light and darkness is very prominent in scripture. What does darkness symbolize? Darkness symbolizes Satan's evil domain. His evil rule. It represents also the sinful deeds of those who don't obey God. That is what darkness represents. The works of darkness are the works of sin. The works of those who are rebellious against God. It also represents the spiritual ignorance. Of those whose sins have blinded their eyes to the light of God's truth. That's what Paul said in 2 uh, I think 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, Paul talked about how people's, people are blinded by the truth. Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 4, in 4 he says, But even if our gospel is veiled, veiled means hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those who are unbelievers. Whose minds the God of this age. Who's God of this age? Satan. He says. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe. That's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God should shine on them. So Satan has blinded the hearts of unbelievers. That's why they can't believe. Because. They're instruments of Satan. They're tools of Satan. They're service of Satan. And what has Satan done? He's deceived them. He's blinded them. He's told them, you don't need that. You don't need that gospel light. Stay in darkness. Sin is fun. Doesn't Satan present sin as fun? All he's telling you is, you don't need that. He's blinding people's hearts. So that's what darkness is. Now, light, on the other hand, pictures the knowledge 
of the truth that comes when God shines it in our lives. In that same passage in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, Paul says, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. When God saved us, guess what? He shone that light, that gospel light into our hearts. That's what happens when we're saved. God shines the light of the gospel in our hearts. As opposed to Satan who does what? He blocks out that light. God shines that light. He commanded light to shine out of darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. It is God who gives us that light. You don't just get it just by getting it. God has to give it to you. Light also pictures the holiness of God. So as believers, we're called to walk in the light just as Christ himself is in the light. That's 1 John 1 and 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, that's my introduction. We'll get these principles. We're going to work through these pretty fast. So we have two principles here. Verses 8 through 10 and verses 11 through 14. The first principle is... We are to walk as children of light in this dark world. So let's look at verses 8 through 10 again. This just to refresh ourselves of our text. Paul says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Then he gives a, a parenthetical a phrase here for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness righteousness and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them so Paul says for you were once darkness now two things to note here number one to walk as children of light we must be children of light you can't walk as a child of light if you're not in light Now, Paul didn't say we used to be in the darkness. Again, I talked about that when we were reading the passage. And now that we are in the light, he says that we used to be darkness. He says you were once darkness, but now you are light. So being once darkness means that your total being, everything about you was dark. Your thinking, your talking, and your life, everything about you is darkness. Everything about you exemplifies darkness. All the decisions that you make, all the things that make you excited are darkness. So he says, you were once, remember, he's talking to the saints. Before we were in Christ, we were darkness. We may not have been, a, uh, you know, the worst child ever or anything like that. But remember, spiritually, we were darkness. You could have been Mr. Miss Goody Two-Shoes, but you were still darkness. If you died outside of Christ as uh, 
Miss Goody Two Shoes, you were still going to hell because your interest in the heaven has is not on the basis of what you think is goodness. Okay, so without Christ, you are darkness. You are the embodiment of darkness. Everything about you is dark. So Paul was telling them that. I don't know if y'all have ever been to, uh, I think it's Ruby Falls in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You know, you walk down this long little path to get to the nice little waterfall in there. But at one point in Ruby Falls, when you get to where the waterfall is, they turn off all the lights. Because it's in the cave. You know, light doesn't get into caves. When that light goes off, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Then all of a sudden they got this light show that comes on, the waterfall lights up and everything. But but the point is, the guy turns off all the lights for a few seconds, which feels like minutes. You can literally not see your hand in front of your face. Think about, how, you know, when your lights go off in your house, I mean, you know, you got your phone light, you know, you got candles and, and, and all that stuff. But if you live in the places like out and remote and your lights go off, you probably can't see your hand. That's a very weird feeling. But when they turn that light off in, the, in that cave at Ruby Falls, you cannot see your hand in front. You can actually feel the darkness. And it's a, it's, it's a temporary sense of, of, of hopelessness. You, you realize what it's like to be totally blind in those, in those few seconds. That is how darkness is. Paul says that we were darkness. We were spiritually blind. We didn't see God's glory. We didn't see God's truth. We didn't have the ability to see it. When people are in spiritual darkness, they can't see God's truth. They can hear it all day, but they cannot see it. We did not have our sense before God saved us. We did not have our sense of our need for the Savior. Why? Because we thought we were good enough to go to heaven. You know, we had that old uh, pagan philosophy. If all my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm good. How do you know your deeds are good? Whose measuring stick are you using? You're measuring yourself against other people. Well, I'm not a serial killer. I didn't rape anybody. I didn't do this, that, and the other. You're measuring your deeds against other sinners? <laughs> but that's what people think. If all my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. No, we... <laughs> We thought we were good enough to go to heaven and we didn't understand the absolute holiness and justice of God. So what do we do? Instead, we live entirely for ourselves and entirely for our own pleasure. Isn't that the way the world is now? Everybody's living for who? Themselves. Self-worship. Self-idolatry. Look at me. Everybody wants to be content creators. Why? Because they want everyone to do what? Look at them, to gaze upon them, to light them, to worship them. So that they can get recognized in public as a TikTok influencer. It's empty praise. 
that's not going to sustain you. TikTok's not going to always be around. Facebook is not going to always be around. Instagram is not going to always be around. These things are not eternal. They are of this world. These things are not sustainable. But that is the dark world. Living for ourselves, living for our glory, living for our pleasure, trying to avoid the thoughts of death and eternity. A lot of people are scared of death. Why? Because they know and deep down inside they're not, they're not ready for it. They do all these things, download all these apps, spend all this time on social media trying to escape the reality of death. The reality of dying one day. The reality that they're going to have to stand before their maker. They're trying to escape by doing all these things. That's darkness. It brings misery. I was reading about Miley Cyrus. She just turned 30 years old. Very sad story. Some of y'all may know who Miley Cyrus is. She was once a Disney girl. Hannah Montana. She sold her soul to the music industry. I was reading an article about her. She has a new song out called Used to Be Young. The entire song is about her complaining about the things she had spent her entire life promoting and doing which were very bad for her y'all seen have y'all seen what Miley Cyrus has done to herself from a cute little Disney girl to being debaucherous selling her soul to the music industry for fame and now she's 30 years old which is still very young but she's made a mess of her life why because she believed the lie that you must do all the oh I don't want to be that good girl I want to have a bad girl image I want to do the drugs and get all the piercings and and dress all provocatively and sleep around with all these men and and have failed relationships and marriages. And and now you're only 30 years old. You are single and alone. That's what that song is about. Why? Because she believed a lot. She was in darkness. And looking at the video, she looks like a very sad person. When you see these celebrities, you can just look at the sadness in their eyes when they're trying to convince themselves and trying to convince you that they're happy. They have to do that to keep up the facade that they're good. That is darkness Paul says we were once that we were self-worshippers we were living entirely for ourselves but something great happened when God saved us he opened up the eyes of our understanding and that is what these people need they need salvation from God we saw our true condition as guilty sinners but we also saw the sufficiency of Christ and his saving work. And God, by his love, drew us to salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. We had a new understanding of God's word. We had a new desire to know God and his truth. We did not want to reject God. We wanted to receive God. 
We want to receive his offer of salvation. Now that we're out of darkness, guess what? We hate the sin that we once loved. That is what God does to us when he saves us, when he conveys us from darkness to light. Guess what? We don't like our sin anymore. We don't want to sin anymore. We hate our sin. We loathe our sin. We don't want to live in sin. We don't want to do things that are displeasing to God. Rather, we want to please God. We want to be more like our Savior than like these fools in the world. These so-called influencers who are influencing people to hell. We want to be more like our Savior. We want to be holy in all of our ways. We want to walk in light. Paul says, we were once darkness, but now we are light. And now that we are light, we do what? Walk as children of light. That is what happens. That's the translation that takes place. You want to get out of the darkness of sin? Come to Jesus. He's there. He will save you if you call to him. Lord, save me. Save me from this darkness. Sin is not working. Sin is not doing it. This life of sin is miserable. This life of sin is torture. I, I, I am not at joy. I am not at peace. Lord, save me. And you know what God would do? He will save you. I was in misery when I came to realize my need for a Savior. God created that faith in me, and I cried out to him. And he saved me. And thank God, 32 years later, thank God that he did. It was all his work. I was in misery. And I was only 19. I'm glad God saved me when he did. It was his timing. But to all who are in that misery now, God will do the same thing. He's mighty to save. We may not know exactly when it happened, but we know that it did happen. That's the great thing about it. So, when we walk as children of light, we will be good. Paul says here, for the fruit of the Spirit is all what? Goodness. Goodness is one of God's attributes, so it's, it's good to be like God. Now, applied to man, goodness is a, it's a broad term for behavior that benefits others ahead of oneself. It's a self-sacrificial type of behavior. A good person in Christ is concerned with the well-being of others, both spiritually and in every other way. They are concerned with the spiritual well-being of someone, whether they are in Christ or not. And he says they will be what? Righteous. Goodness and righteousness. A, a, a person who's walking as a, ch a child of light, that means that they are in Christ. They will be righteous. They will conform to God's righteous standards as is uh, been conveyed in his word. A righteous person is one who is upright before God. Not perfect before God because we won't be perfect, but we will live an upright life. We will live a life of integrity before God. 
we will sin, but we'll have the integrity to confess our sins to the Lord and, and repent and turn away from them. We won't just make excuses for them. That's what it means to walk in righteousness according to God's righteous standard. We'll also be just and fair in how we treat others. That's the standard of righteousness too. We'll be just in how we deal with each other. It means we'll be right. We'll be, we'll be fair. We'll treat everyone fairly. And then also he says, we'll be people of truth. The truth stands in contrast to the life of unbelievers. Who are deceived. But remember Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 24. That we were created in righteousness and holiness. And of the truth. We have to speak the truth in love. We have to be people of the truth. People of our word. Maintaining integrity in all things. Proclaiming God's truth over the lies of the world. That is what it means to walk as children of light we are concerned with God's truth being proclaimed we are concerned with God's truth not being trampled on and not being twisted we care about God's truth we contend earnestly for the truth as Jude tells us and then if we walk as children of light he says here verse 10 Finding out what is acceptable or pleasing to God. So verse 10 basically goes back to verse 8 because, you know, verse 9 is a parenthesis. So when we walk as children of light, we want to do what? What's pleasing to God. We want to learn. Paul says in Romans 12 and 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. As Christians, we want to prove what the will of God is. That's what it means to walk in light. And as God renews our minds, through his word, by the spirit, then we will continually know what is pleasing to God. We will, we will continue to know what words are pleasing to God, the speech we use, the things that we think, the things that we do. We will continue to know what pleases God. Who better to please than our master? Who better to please than our God? On our jobs, who better are we to please than God? Think about that. We talk about it all the time. When we work, we work to the glory of God. It is God who will reward us, right? Yeah, our paycheck may say who our employer is, but ultimately we're working for God. We're not working for man. We're seeking to please God on our jobs, no matter how difficult they may be. As believers, as Christians, you're seeking to please the one with whom you have to give an account one day. When you stand before God, you're supervisor your plant manager or whatever the title is is not going to be standing next to you because he or she is going to have to give an account for themselves also we have to be concerned as believers ourselves with walking in the light 
to prove in our experiences what pleases God. And we don't determine what pleases God by our own feelings because our feelings fluctuate. Our feelings are fickle. They change. We don't determine by our own conscience. We determine what is pleasing in the Lord by growing in understanding of his word, what God requires of us. Do us pleasing uh, in the eyes of the Lord as parents, as husbands, as wives, as children. We do what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, living to please the Lord, and this is so true. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, living to please the Lord is a fundamental difference between the believer and unbeliever. <laughs> he says, an unbeliever may be a good man. And even be somewhat righteous or upright, at least outwardly. He may be truthful, but he does it all out of selfish motives for his own selfish interests so that others would think highly of him. He continues, but only believers live to please the Savior. We have a new personal relationship with the one who snatched us out of the horrible pit. We now evaluate everything we do by the question, does this please the Lord who loved me and gave himself for me? An unbeliever is not thinking that. Because if so, they would not be an unbeliever. Why would you live to try to please the Lord that you don't bow down to as your God and Savior? Think about that. Why would an unbeliever concern himself about pleasing the Lord when he doesn't worship God as Lord? Right? What's the use? An unbeliever is not going to do it that way. As children of light, we are to expose the deeds of darkness. That's the second principle here. Verses 11 through 14. He says, take no parts in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead do what? Expose them or reprove them, as some translations say. What is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake you sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So we are not supposed to be darkness. We are rather we're rather to expose the deeds of darkness. We're supposed to expose darkness. We're not supposed to participate with them in their darkness. We're supposed to bring it to light. That's why in my preaching, when, when, when the scripture allows, I point out the darkness that's going on in our world. Why? Because it needs to be exposed. We need to know the darkness that is out there in the world to keep ourselves from it, to keep our children from it, to keep our church from letting it infiltrate and come in, being on alert for it, trying to come into the household of God. We have to expose those things. 
And it's not a sin to do that. It's a sin to not do it. We are to expose those deeds. So we expose them by our godly lives as we maintain a proper separation from the world. If you think about it like this, if we have no different thinking, attitudes, words, or behaviors than those who are in darkness, <laughs> then we have no message to give them. If we profess to know Christ, but we're not walking in light, we're not conforming our life to his word, we're not trying to do what's pleasing in his eyes, how can we claim to be a Christian before unbelievers if we're not doing that? If we're comfortable with our sinful lifestyle, number one, we're not Christians because Christians do not habitually and unrepentantly practice sin. So we are to expose darkness. We are to reprove it. We are to rebuke it as we live to please God. You can't participate in the sin and rebuke it in others at the same time. We can't do that. That's hypocritical. So to expose again means to make visible those sins they they need to be brought to light now Jesus said in John 3 and 20 after he said for God so loved the world in John 3 20 Jesus said everyone who does evil hates the light why they do not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed In John 3, 21, he continues, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been worked in God. Those who are darkness, they hate the light. They hate the gospel truth. They may not outwardly hate it, but remember this. I say this all the time. The gospel does one of two things. Either the hardest people in their sins. When a person hears the gospel that's an unbeliever, either they're going to receive that gospel and be saved, or they're going to do what? Reject it. And their hearts are going to be what? Hardened even more every time they hear it. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay, as Charles Spurgeon said. I say it all the time, but it is a gospel truth. It's like the parable of the four soils in Matthew 13. So when we expose those deeds, we do it anyway. And we pray, Lord, help that light of the gospel to shine on them. Because that is what we have to trust in. We have to trust in God to reveal that light to them. 
Now, the thing is, if we're walking in the light, we can no longer join in the lifestyle of unbelievers. So back at what Paul says here, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And then verse 12, for it is shameful to even speak of those things that they do in secret. Why should we even speak of it, of what they're doing? Listen to what 1 Peter 4, 3 through 5 says. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Peter is writing to the scattered church. In all this, they are surprised that you, he's talking to the believers, do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. But they were given account to him who was ready to judge the living and dead. So what was uh, Peter telling these Christians who were being persecuted? Yes, those pagans who are practicing these things, when you don't do it with them anymore, guess what? They're going to revile you. They're going to insult you. You're not part of the cool kids club anymore. So what? If you stop drinking and doing drugs with them and going around chasing women or chasing men and, and, and going to happy hour and doing all this other foolish stuff. So what if you don't do that anymore? So what if they put you out of their little club? So what if they don't call you or want to text you anymore or they unfriend you from Facebook? So what? That should be your attitude, Christian. So what? You don't want to run with them anymore. When God saved me, guess what? I took a lot of heat from my friends. All that smoking and drinking that I was doing and going around chasing women. God, when he saved me, he took that out of me and I didn't do it anymore. And my friends gave me hate for it. This is way back in 1991, way before social medias or even cell phones. They didn't want to have anything to do with flip anymore. I want the old flip back, not the new flip. I don't like the new flip. Flip's my hometown nickname. That's why I'm saying that. But, you know, I, 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 I miss the old flip, man. How we used to do this, we used to do that, we used to smoke this, we used to drink. You know, they, they missed that old flip. I was like, well, old flip is gone. It's like that song, there's a dead man in my grave beneath my name. When you are in the light, you don't want to have anything to do. God takes that away from you. He takes that desire away from you, that desire to sin, that, that desire to go into all these sinful acts and sinful deeds and go to all these sinful places where darkness is everywhere. Yeah, when I was in the military, I wasn't a believer. I used to go to all the, the strip clubs downtown Norfolk and, and go to the E-Club on Tuesdays and Thursday nights and and, and just, just do all this, all this partings, just doing it, just whatever. I was doing all that. Just blowing my money on alcohol and cigarettes and couldn't smoke weed because I didn't want to pop positive. But whatever other sinful desires I chased after. I was not in Christ. 
And God saved me. By his grace, he took all that away from me. And I, I didn't want to have anything else to do with that stuff. I didn't care if people called me a square. That's what he's called us back then. And why are you being a square? I didn't care. Why? Because God conveyed me. He took me from darkness. He took my mind from darkness. He took my speech from darkness. I used to curse like a sailor. I look at letters that I wrote home to my friends, uh, uh, pictures. I, I used to write stuff on the back of the pictures I was sending home from when I was overseas. Filled with friends. Even write letters to my mom. And, and stuff I wrote on the back of my pictures to my own mother with just profanity. Why? Because I was darkness. My thinking was dark. I'm not making this about me, but I'm making a point about what Christ does and what we ought to do as believers. We don't become partakers with them. We don't take any part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but it said we expose it. We say, no, Christian, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't have this kind of thinking. Bring every thought captivity. And under Christ. Bring your thoughts under captivity to Christ. Bring your life under captivity to Christ. How do you do this? God saves you. He regenerates you. He gives you a new heart with new desires. You go from having sinful desires to godly desires. You go from sinly talk, sinful talk rather, to godly talk. Speech that is filled with grace and seasoned with salt. You don't have a dirty, salty mouth anymore. You don't use salty language anymore. Why? Because God has shown his truth in your heart. And this is what Paul is saying. He says it is even shameful to even speak of those things. We shouldn't even talk about it. We shouldn't even mention it. Speaking of it in a way as to approve of it. We don't verbally compromise our convictions. As Christians, we don't compromise our convictions. We have to be convicted where we are convicted. You stand, Christian, on truth no matter what. The living church, we're going to do it. We're going to stand on God's truth. Christian, wherever you are in your workplace, you stand on God's truth no matter what. I don't care if you're the only person. Just like I was the only person in that truck last night driving down to that game that was sitting there looking like what in the world they're talking about. I didn't care. Because what they were talking about was unfruitful. It was ungodly. And I'm not going to kind of laugh it off just to not make myself look like a prude. We have to be convicted where we are convicted. We have to stand on God's truth where we stand and don't be cowards. That's what's wrong with the church now. People are cowards. And the Bible says that cowards are among those 
who will have their part in the lake of fire. We can't be cowards. We can't be scared of people. We can't fear man. Jesus said, don't fear those who can destroy your body, but not your soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. We should not fear man, but we fear God. Amen. So the word tells us here as we close out, awake, O sleeper. Awake. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. This is an awakening to the light of Christ. This is an awakening to the glory of the Lord. Paul is calling us as believers to awaken to the light of the gospel truth. Unbeliever, awaken to the light of the gospel truth. Get out of darkness. When you're asleep, you're in darkness. God is calling you to be awakened out of your slumber. And this gets back to the beginning where we talked about how do we respond to different things? How do we respond to what we see? How do we respond when someone wants us to view something that is not pleasing to Lord? We have to be bold in our witness to Christ. We have to be as bold. You know what? Unbelievers are not ashamed of what they do. They're bold in proclaiming evil. Why can't we be bold in proclaiming Christ? They're not ashamed of what they do. Are they? No, they're paraded out in front of us. And we sit back with our tails tucked between our legs. May God give us boldness to witness for Christ. If they are bold for Satan, we should be as bold for our Savior. We should smile and firmly say, that offends my Lord. Why did you blaspheme my name? God's name like that I can't do that and you can say I used to love that sort of thing but now I belong to Jesus Christ and I want to do what's pleasing to him that's a great Christian witness you know I used to talk like that at one time but God saved me and now I want to say what's pleasing in his eyes they may look at you like you're growing horns out of your head but guess what you still proclaim the gospel truth and you share your concern for that person that they're under God's judgment but that Jesus offers them full and free pardon if they will repent and believe in him. Just as simple as that. And I'm going to keep drumming this home to myself and to us as a church. So as we close, may God give us that boldness to proclaim our witness for Christ and not be ashamed. The world is not ashamed of proclaiming their allegiance to Satan, they don't say his name, but what they're doing, that's what they are doing. We should not be ashamed as Christians to proclaim our faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ and proclaim what he has done for us and expose their deeds of darkness and show them that God has a much better way for them. Let us pray. Father, We thank you that you have called us as believers 
out of darkness. We are not darkness. We are light in the Lord. Help us, Lord, to walk as children of light, to, to be a witness, not be cowards. Start with me. Help me to not be a coward. Help all of us, those of us who are at work or those of us who are at home or retired or whatever, in whatever situation, whatever circumstance that we're in, Lord, to not be ashamed to say, I don't do that anymore or that offends my Lord. To not be ashamed to say, I used to do that sort of thing. I used to think that way, but now I belong to Jesus Christ and I want to please him. And let us share our concerns for those people that they're under God's judgment. But also, Lord, mostly share that Jesus Christ offers full and free pardon for their sins if they would repent and believe in him. Let us always offer the hope of salvation while at the same time not being like the world, not participating in their works of darkness. Help us, Lord, to continue to live in the light, to walk in the light as you are in the light. In Christ's name I pray, amen.